Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. When uh, my family and I served as missionaries in Guatemala, we worked with uh, those less fortunate than us. We worked in what's called squatter villages, the urban poor, <clears throat> no running water, no electricity, no sewer, no educational system, no health system whatsoever, no, no roads to which to travel. <clears throat> but we went in there and tried to, to love them and plant churches. And one of the things we did was always uh, brought ministries into the community so we could gain access to the community. A lot of what we did could be called social ministry. Uh, you know, we did health medical clinics, dental clinics, eye clinics, uh, children's ministries, things like that to gain access into the community. In one of the um, uh, medical clinics that we did, uh, one time we came in and a young lady, a young girl visited our clinic. Her name was Aula. Uh, you may have heard this story before, but her name was Aula. Aula, and Aula was 13 years old. At least that's what we were told. 13, and she came visiting us. Her mom and her dad had passed away and she was living with her older sister and, and, her, and her sister's uh, children. And Aula came, she wasn't feeling good. And so uh, the doctor examined her and immediately said, we've got to get her to the hospital because her blood sugar was 660. Uh, so he said, if you do not get her to the doctor today, she would die today. And so my, my, my wife kicked in the high gear and took everything out of our car and loaded up Alda, loaded up her sister, and they drove into the city of Guatemala City to get her to the doctor. She went to the, to the, to the hospital there in Guatemala City and they refused to treat her. As my wife tells the story, they refused to treat her. The doctor said, she's going to die anyway, because even if we take care of her, she would not be able to get the follow-up and she will die. My wife, uh, being uh, the sweet, loving lady that she is, uh, uh, just told me, says, you treat her, we'll take care of her. You treat her and we'll, we'll provide for her. So she stayed in the hospital eight days and she got better. And the, the, doc, the medical team that came and ministered to us, with us during that time, they developed a particular compassion for Alda, and they arranged for us to receive some medicine to give to her every week on a weekly basis. We would give her the medicine. And so we were able to, to minister to Alda. And so we began sharing this with our missionary family, and we were, just, we were in tears about this girl because we just couldn't help her. And finally, a, 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 a veteran missionary, about four foot ten, <coughs> or whatever, red hair and red lipstick and red fingernails she did not fit in the but but she says her health is not her problem her problem is she doesn't know Jesus that's her problem she said you need to keep her alive long enough that she can receive Jesus as Lord and Savior of life said she's going to die your job is to prepare her for that day then on, our prayers for Alda begin to change. We begin praying, God, keep her alive long enough that we can bring her to Jesus. God heard our prayers. And eventually we led that little girl to Christ. And she was the first person I baptized in the squatter villages. Listen. All ministry fails 
if it does not present the gospel. Hear me on that. All ministry fails if it does not present the gospel. Now, I know that's hard for us to get our arms around. It's hard for us to grasp because we want to take care of the hungry. We want to minister to the homeless. We want to give a, a cup of water to the thirsty. We want to clothe the naked. We want to take care of the widows. We want to take care of the orphans. We want to visit those in prison. We want to visit those that are sick. We want to do that. But listen, my friends. We can feed the hungry. We can clothe the naked. We can visit the sick. Or we, we can visit those in, in prison. Uh, we can take care of the widows. We can take care of the orphans. If we do not tell them about Jesus, we have failed. We failed. Our job, our job as followers of Christ is to make more followers of Christ. I'm not excluding those other things. But I said we use that as a method, as a, an opening to share the good news of Jesus Christ. As we examine the New Testament church, we will see that this was a part of the DNA of the early church. They understood this principle. They understood this, this, this idea. Uh, they were busy doing what God commanded them to do. And in the process of doing that, people were coming to Christ. In Acts chapter 2, Verses 42 through 47, once again, we find ourselves in this wonderful passage of Scripture. If you do not know it by now, you've been sleeping through my sermons. You should know this passage by now. We've been looking at it under the heading, Church on Purpose. And what we will discover is that this church, this early church, they were coming together for worship. They were coming together for discipleship. They were coming together for fellowship. They were coming together for ministry in the community. And they also came together with evangelism, with the purpose of bringing people into a loving relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at this passage one more time. Acts 2, 42-47, under the heading, Evangelism with Purpose. You follow along as I read. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. One truth. Evangelism with purpose extends God's kingdom. Evangelism with purpose extends God's kingdom. Look at verse 47 again. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I love this verse. I love this verse because I believe that should be the desire of every church body. Uh, I believe that every church should have their desire that the Lord would add to the number daily those who are being saved. Is that your desire? Amen. Is that what you want to see happen? Yeah. Those individuals that say, oh, I just love a small church. I just love a small church because I know everybody in the church. They would not have been happy in this church. You know why? Because it grew from 120 to 3,120 in one day. Can't you see those people say, oh, I just liked it when we were so small, so intimate. They were not comfortable. They were not comfortable. But this is what it was. But it didn't stop with that. It continued as it went on. You know, those individuals that have a, have a, a small church 
philosophy. They don't understand the writings of the New Testament. They don't understand about that. That first church grew to astronomical proportions, and it did not stop with that one thing. I want to notice three things about this verse. This verse we just read, and the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. The first thing I want you to see is that God added to the church. God added to the church. This is a, this is a truth that, that we, we are prone to forget. God is the one who adds to the church. Uh, there's, a, there's a story of a church in the New Testament. Uh, it, it was a church that, that was the struggling over leadership in the church. And, and some of them will complain and say, well, we follow the deacons. And others say, no, 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 we follow the preacher. And there was some out there that said, well, we follow the, we follow the, the choir. Uh, no, no, we follow the Sunday school teachers. Well, no, it didn't really happen that way. But it could have. Really what it was is they said uh, they were arguing over, over different preachers. Over, over different styles, and, and some said, I like this, or some said, I like this, or some said, I like this. And Paul comes in and says, what are you talking about? This is the, the unpublished worldly version. He said, what are you talking about? He said, it ain't the preachers that do it, it's God who does it. God is the one who brings the increase. God is the one who blesses the church. God is the one who saves individuals, and then he puts them in that church. And notice what else it says in, verse, in this passage. God added to the church those that were being saved. God added to the church those who were being saved. Now, it's probably true. In the first century, there was no such thing as, as transferring membership. Because when you only have one Baptist church in the world, well, one Christian church, let's say that, okay? Because I, I hate to say it, folks. It wasn't Baptist, okay? It wasn't Baptist. It was a Bible-believing, God-loving, people-serving church. But it wasn't Baptist, okay? Uh, it was the first church, whatever it was. The first church of Jerusalem, let's call it that, all right? Uh, uh, they were there. And they couldn't transfer new people in. So what was happening? New converts were coming into the church. New people were being saved. I still believe that is God's desire for his church. That new converts, new believers coming in to the body of Christ. God wants to add new believers to the church. I want you to notice something about this passage. It's kind of a secondary, well, it's not a secondary truth. It's probably right there. God did not save them without adding them to the church. And he did not add them to the church without saving them. This idea of, of people being saved and, and not being added to the church, that's not New Testament, folks. Uh, that is not the way it, way it works. And this truth is revealed throughout Scripture. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 41. It's right there in the, the previous passage. Those who accepted his message, talking about Peter's message, those who accepted his message were baptized, and what? And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They were baptized and they were added to the church. There was no such thing as adding people some mysterious church in the abstract that meets nowhere and does nothing. It was always God's purpose to save people and plant them in a local body of believers. That was always his intent. So anybody that says, I'm saved but I don't see any reason to be a part of the church, you're already in disobedience to the word of God. Already. So don't you go, well, I'm going to be obedient and everything else, but you can't even get the first one right? That there's no idea that. Look at Acts chapter 5, verse 14, as we look at this passage. 
It says in there, more and more men and women believe in the Lord. And what does it say? And were added to their number. Numbers. They believe in the Lord. Men and women believe and they were added to the number. Look at Acts chapter 6, verse 7. And I love this verse. Verse 7 says, so the word of God spread. I don't think I have that one on the screen. But the word of God spread. you hear that? The word of God spread. It spreads out because it extends God's kingdom as the word of God spread. Then look at what it says. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Acts chapter 9 verse 31 says this. The church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria grew in numbers. Grew in numbers. So here's God's plan. He saves people. Get them baptized. Get them doing that first, that confession of Christ as Lord to save their life. Then he puts them in the church. Why? So the church can teach them everything that God has taught us. That's what Jesus said. Make disciples. Baptize them. Get them incorporated in that church. He says, so what? So that you can teach them. So that you can teach them. This is always his plan, was to add them to a local body of believers. So God added to the church. God added to the church those who were being saved. Finally, God added to the church those that were being saved daily. God added to the church those who were being saved daily. Now, I'm kind of a, a statistics guy. Because I think statistics can tell a fascinating story if you really look at them. And I know you can twist them and, and distort them for what you, your own purposes, so you've got to be careful with that. But let's just take for, for a purpose that God added to their number daily. Just on a conservative estimate, now we're going by the, the, uh, our calendar, not the Jewish calendar, that's 365 converts a year. 365. One, one a day, right? It says the Lord added to the number daily. That's one a day. Is that right? Is that correct? Everybody with me? Nod your head. This means yes. This means no. This means pastor. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, man, I got dizzy. No. 365. Okay. Let's just make, I'll assume that only 120 mature believers, I mean, these are the ones that walk with Jesus, that live with Jesus, that minister with Jesus, and kind of walk with Jesus maybe for three years of life. They're the only ones that are really uh, equipped to maybe lead somebody else to Jesus. Well, and 365 a day, I mean a year. But let's just say it was all 3,000, 3,120. That is still 10% growth a year. 10%. Statistics tell us that it takes the average church member, the average church, it takes, one, it takes 86 people to win one to Christ. Now, you know what that tells me? We're not being very New Testament. What we're not doing, we're not carrying on the traditions. We're not carrying on the DNA of the church, the early church. Why is that? Why do you think that is? I'll leave that for you to ponder. I could come up with all kinds of reasons, but I have to point the finger back at me. Maybe I'm too busy doing church work to do kingdom work. How about you? Are you too busy playing church to do the work of the church? Oh, pastor, <laughs> that hurts. God's word is supposed to hurt. 
It's supposed to cut you with the truth, is what it says in the Word. God added to the church daily those who are being saved. I want you to imagine with me for a minute. Let's suppose you go to a restaurant. I'm talking about one of those really, really nice restaurants. You and your wife, you and your loved one goes to that. Uh, you and your best friend, whoever, you go. and I mean, it's a nice restaurant. Got the nice music playing in the background. Got the ambiance. You know, the lights are down low. Candle lights on the table. Even got those nice little uh, glasses that Baptists don't drink out of. Wine glasses, that's what they're called. <laughs> uh, yeah, you probably could at that restaurant because there won't be any other Baptists there. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, so, so they're there, and, 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 they, you know, and it's just beautiful. You know, the, 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 uh, the, the, uh, they don't have waitress, they have hostesses and maitre d's and all this. Everybody's dressed in tuxedos. You get the picture? I mean, this is a nice place. We probably don't have too many of them around Waco, you know. I mean, Uncle Dan's is about the, the closest I can get to a nice restaurant, all right? So, so you go there, and then they give you this menu, and it's nice. And it's kind of the menu that doesn't have prices on it, all right? Y'all, y'all get in the picture? And so he said, well, I'd like to order this, this, and this. And they say, oh, I'm sorry, we're out, of, we're out of food. What do you mean? It's a restaurant. The, the restaurant's main business is what? Is to sell food. I don't say, well, that's absurd. Preach, that would never happen. It's the same way in a church that has all the trappings, but it doesn't share the gospel. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. When we see the first church, people were coming to the Lord daily. They were coming to Christ daily. How were they doing this? Well, why was this happening? Why did God add to the church, this church, daily? Why did He do it? By, all, by human standards, <clears throat> if you look at this church, <clears throat> they did not have the things necessary for a thriving church. Now stop looking. They didn't have a building. They met in the courtyard of the temple. If they could meet there, then they probably didn't meet there. Perhaps they met in various homes. We could debate that. They didn't have trained seminary leaders. Some people said the seminary has been the death of all of our preachers. That's where they go to the die. No, that's the cemetery, not the seminary. You know, they didn't have a great music program, Kip. They didn't have a choir. They didn't have handbells. You know, they didn't have a youth ministry, Brother Rock, Brother Rock, Brother, Brother Josh. They didn't have a youth ministry. They didn't have a children's ministry. They didn't have a little jungle gym for the kids to play on. They didn't have, probably didn't have carpet. Can you believe that? You know, they didn't have a, they didn't have a singles ministry. Probably never took a mission trip. I mean, when God's bringing... All those people to the Jerusalem probably didn't have to take a mission trip. You know, they didn't have any literature to pass out. Can you imagine? They didn't have the four spiritual laws to pass out. Why? Because it hadn't been written yet. They didn't have CWT, Evangelism Explosion. They didn't have little tracks that you had to find peace with God. They didn't have all those things. They didn't even have a marked New Testament. Could you imagine what that would look like, a marked scroll? They didn't have any of that stuff. But yet, we look at this passage... And it says, they experienced phenomenal church growth. Why is that? Why is it that God blessed this church? I think the clue's in the text. 
I think the clue is right there in the text. Notice what it says in verse 42 of this passage. It says early church, they were devoted to the teaching. They were devoted to the teaching of the apostles. They were devoted to the fellowship. Man, they loved one another. They liked hanging out with one another. They were devoted to the worship of God. If we look at verse 40, uh, 43, it says that the leaders, that the people were doing great things, particularly the leaders were doing great things. Then you look at verse 44, and I, I'm blown away by this. They were united in purpose. What was their purpose? To bring people to Jesus. Yes, to worship God, I know that. But ultimately, it's to, to bring people to Jesus Christ. It's, it's the great commission, not the great worship event. It's the great commission, because he's commissioned us to go and make disciples. That, that they were committed to, to, this, to this, this, this purpose. Verse 45, it says they were generous givers. And they were involved in the ministry of the church. Verse 46, it says they continued in worship daily and they continued to provide encouragement to the body of believers. Verse 47, it says they were praising God on a continual basis. What was the result of those activities? Look at verse 43. It says in, in verse 43, everyone was filled with awe. Now who is the everyone? Is it just that 33,120 people? It was everyone around them. They were filled with awe. They said, what is going on here? These people are crazy. What's wrong with them? Verse 47, notice what it says. Praising God and what? Enjoying the favor of all the people. It doesn't say all the believers. Enjoying the favor of all the people. They were enjoying the favor of all the people. The people in the community took notice. They said, something's going on over there. Something's happening over there. They looked at the early church. They could find nothing wrong with it. They couldn't discover anything wrong with it. Why? They were loving people. They were serving people. They were ministering to people. And they were telling people about Jesus. No wonder God added to the number daily those who were being saved. No wonder. They were doing exactly what God created them to be. And exactly what God created them to do, to bring glory and honor to him and him alone. Why wouldn't people want to know what this church was all about and be a part of a fellowship like that? The fellowship of excitement. Wouldn't you like to be, wouldn't you like to be driving around the community and people hear about our church and say, oh, that's the fellowship of excitement. Amen. That's the fellowship of excitement. God's doing something there. We hear about it all the time. And we just can't hear anything bad about it. They might talk bad about the preacher. They might talk bad about some, some of the deacons or the choir, but they won't say anything bad about Jesus. That's okay. Of course, you know, there'll be some that say, well, you know, we do not have to place so much emphasis upon numerical growth. Well, if we could just grow spiritually, that would be okay. Well, okay. I'll concede the point. We don't have to focus so much on numbers. But I'm reminded of what an old preacher friend of mine said years ago. And he said this, I quote, Never forget. Never forget that each number represents another person who has been saved. 
And because God wants to see people saved, numbers are important. Do you agree with me that God wants to see people saved? Then numbers matter. Numbers matter because every number, every person saved is another person added to the kingdom of God. And I say that's another one that Satan can't get his hands on. I believe what worked in the first century, I believe it'll still work today. I believe that God has given us a pattern. He's given us the, the philosophy of how this works. I believe that we will be devoted to worship. I mean truly devoted to worship. Hear what I'm saying. Not worship style. I'm talking about worship. Worship. Remember, the only thing we're worshiping is God and God alone. That's it. We've got to be truly devoted to worship. We've got to be devoted to discipleship. I mean, we've got to be teaching the Word of God for the purpose of affecting our lives. We're not teaching the Word of God just to give information. Oh, that was a good little story. I'll put that away in my head. It'll be a great story to remember someday. No. How does that story impact your life? How does that truth from Scripture impact your life? How does that truth reveal to you how you're now going to live it out every day of your life? We want to teach the Word of God to impact lives. We've got to be devoted to fellowship. Fellowship, fellowship, fellowship. Encouraging one another. This is not cookies and punch. Although some of, the, some of you like cookies and punch, that's okay. I do too. Some of you like cookies and punch a little bit more than others. But uh, you know, we, we've, we've got to be devoted to fellowship that encourages one another. Got a great time coming up next Sunday. Everybody's going to be here together. It's a great time to worship together. Got another time coming up April the 15th on a Sunday night. We're almost going old school, folks. We're going to have a worship service in here where we sing the old hymns of the faith. The hymns of the faith. And then we have a, a slight sermonette. <laughs> yeah, I believe that when I hear it. And then guess what we're going to do after that? We're going to have a dessert fellowship. You know why we can do that? Because... It'll still be dark. It'll still be light when you go home. We're creating an opportunity for us to come together, to fellowship, and encourage one another. We've got to be truly committed to ministry. It's, it's coming down. I'm telling you. It's coming down. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. Then I'm going to tell you what I told you. And then we're going to do it and say, why didn't you, didn't you listen to me? We're going to go to ministry teams. Everybody's going to be expected to be a part of some type of ministry. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how decrepit you are. I don't care how, how much uh, you're, you're hurting physically. If you can sit in a chair and write a thank you card, you can serve on a ministry team. If you can, if you can meet with a couple of guys a week and, and drink coffee together and pray for the church, you can be on a ministry team. The only thing that limits you is your imagination and your willingness to serve. And then we've got to be committed to evangelizing. We've got to be committed to telling people the good news of Jesus Christ. And if we would do what we can do, listen, if we would do that, worship, discipleship, fellowship, ministry, and evangelism, if we would do what we're supposed to do, God would do the rest. 
But you see, this is what we want. We want God to grow the church. We talked about this yesterday in prayer time. We want God to send a revival. We say, okay, God, send it. And what I've discovered is that God sends a revival when we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. For some of you. You're just tired of playing church. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of playing church. I really am. Because I can play church with the best of them. He said, I really want to be involved in kingdom work. Maybe you're a visitor. And you don't really have a church home. For those that are visiting and don't have a church home, maybe God has brought you here because this is where he wants you to plant your life. You know, we're not everything that God wants us to be. And I'm glad of that. Because if we, ever, if we ever become everything God wants us to be, you know what? That's when the rapture's already happened. We already take it up into heaven. But in the meantime, we work. In the meantime, we serve. In the meantime, we worship. In the meantime, we, we, we study God's Word. In the meantime, we commit ourselves to fellowship. In the meantime, we do ministry. In the meantime, we evangelize until the day that God calls us home. Some of you said, I want to be a part of a church like that. I don't want to just be, be involved in programs and stuff. I want to get my teeth into ministry and evangelism in a church that wants to make a difference. Maybe God has brought you here because you're the missing piece. For those that are already members... And, and you're a pew sitter. You know who you are. I know who you are. More importantly, God knows who you are. It doesn't matter if I know. God knows. He knows your heart. He, why? He says, because what's in your heart reveals itself by your actions. That's not me speaking. That's the Word of God speaking. You say, Pastor, I want to be involved. I want to get committed. You don't have to tell me anything. Just start getting involved. Start getting committed. We got Sunday night. We got Wednesday night. We got Tuesday fellowship with the guys. We got prayer time on Saturdays. There's all kinds of opportunities available. You just got to get plugged in. And as you, those opportunities arise, then you find other opportunities coming from those opportunities. For others of you, maybe you're just... Maybe you need Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. Look, I'm going to just cut to the chase. Here it is, bottom line, all right? Here's what you got to do. You got to admit that you're a sinner. Admit it. What is a sinner? A sinner is one who's missed the mark for God's life. A, a sinner is one who rebels against God's standard, rebels against God's way. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to destruction. You may think your way is right. You may think that all you got to do is keep working and working and working, and eventually your good works are outweigh your bad works. <clears throat> Wrong answer. Doesn't happen that way. You will never, ever outweigh your bad works. Never. So what do you got to do? You got to have somebody come in and clean the ledger. You got to have somebody come in and say, wipe it all away so that the balance goes the other way so you can get into heaven. And the only way that's going to happen, Jesus has got to clean it. Jesus has got to come in and it says, the blood of the Lamb covers your sins. All your sins, past, present, and future. Every sin you ever committed was forgiven on the cross of Jesus Christ, if you will believe. You've got to admit that you're a sinner. If you don't admit you're a sinner, then you're not ready to take the next step. What is the next step? You've got to believe that Jesus Christ paid the price for your sins. You've got to believe it. John 3, 16, you know that verse by heart. Even if you're not a believer, you know it. For God so loved you 
that he gave his one and only son, that if you will believe in him, if you will believe in him, that's not John 3, for God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him will not perish but have eternal life. If you will believe in him, you will not perish, but you will have eternal life. Some of you need to do that. Why? Because it says the wages of sin is death and the gift of God is eternal life. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us. No one is righteous. Not even one is righteous. But there is one who's righteous. There is one, the Holy One, the Son of God, the risen Savior. So you've got to admit that you're a sinner. You've got to believe that Jesus Christ paid the price for your sins. And then you've got to commit your life to Jesus. Some people say confess. I'm okay if you follow through with that word confessing. means to continually confess over and over and over. So I like to use the word commit. Commit means I'm committing my life totally to Jesus. He's no longer just my Savior. He's also my Lord. And because He's my Savior, I live my life in obedience to what He told me. We are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any one of us would boast. But we are to do works. Why? Because works is an evidence of our salvation experience. Remember what I said? What's in your heart reveals itself by your actions. And if you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, guess what? That same grace that saves you by faith will work through faith to bring evidence of your salvation. Some of you need to do that today. You're religious. You can quote us all 66 books of the Bible. You know where all the key verses of the Bible are. You've been in Sunday school all your life. You've got the gold stars. Praise Jesus. But you don't know Jesus Christ. And you need to be saved. Remember, 3,000 were added in one day. They were all religious. Every one of them. But they didn't know Jesus. Some of you today said, I've been Baptist my entire life. Before that, I was in another church. I've been in church all my life. I guess what? Church doesn't save you. That pew ain't any holier than that couch you sit on at home. Only Jesus saves you. Amen. Jesus said, He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Do you know Jesus? In a moment, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond to what you've heard today. I pray that God would touch your hearts. Maybe convict you. Maybe there's a neighbor that lives around you that doesn't know Jesus. Maybe you've got a brother, a sister, a father, a mother, a daughter, a son, a co-worker. And they don't even know that you're a believer. I want you this week tell them about Jesus. If you don't know the gospel, just tell them your story. Say, so let me tell you about a person I know. Tell them about Jesus in your life and how he transformed you. There's always a place for the gospel according to you. Change your life. They may refute the scriptures, but they can't refute the testimony of a changed life. Take this opportunity to tell someone about Jesus. And we'll trust. When we do what we're supposed to do, we'll trust that God will add to the number daily those who are being saved. Would you stand with me? as I lead us in prayer. Father God, we come before you this morning thanking you for this opportunity you've given to us to gather here, to worship, Father, to seek your face.
Father, hopefully to understand your word, Father, and how everything points back to Jesus, everything points back to relationship with you through faith in Jesus Christ. God, we want to be that kind of church. Father, we want to be the kind of church who exalts Christ. But God, we recognize that so many times things get in the way. And Father, if we're really honest, the thing that gets in the way is just the old devil. Because Lord, he doesn't want us to be about our Father's business. Father, I pray that you would touch hearts this morning. Convict us of sin. Challenge us, Father, to rise above mediocrity. Confront us, Father, with the errors of our ways, our apathy, our complacency, our, our just being comfortable. I pray, Father, that you will consecrate us for your purpose, for your glory, and for your service. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.